Good morning, and thank you all for joining with us this morning. I hope you have all recovered from Christmas and its festivities and are looking forward to the new year. Saturday is Epiphany. And you may wonder what is Epiphany. Apparently, it's the day that you take your Christmas decorations down. Mind you, I'd have them down on Boxing Day, but that's beside the point. Epiphany is the day in which the church universally celebrates the coming of the wise men. And so it's appropriate that this Sunday we conclude our series of waiting for the promise by talking about the wise men. It also may seem strange to you that after Christmas we are still waiting for the promise. But when I talk to you about the wise men, I hope you'll understand the context in which we are engaging with this topic. Let's just read the passage that we're going to be considering this morning. I may read it to you twice. Once at the start of our time together, and then once at our end of our time together. Because you see, we have a very distorted image of what happened with the wise men. But let's read what it says. Matthew chapter 2, I will read the first 12 verses. And at your leisure, I would encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And Herod the king, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, are not the least amongst the rulers of Judea, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And then in verses 13 to 15, we read about the flight of that young family, a refugee family, into Egypt. And then from verses 18 to verses 23, we read of that terrible event where Herod kills the children under the age of two. But I have to focus this morning 
on the first 12 verses. Christmas shopping for me is something that you do as quickly as you can, get it over with, and get it done. So I was shopping with my wife for my grandsons. They are at the age where I thought they would appreciate fishing with granda. So I bought them three fishing rods, beginner's rods, don't exaggerate. Three real rods that they could enjoy. I went to a well-known chain store to purchase these, and when I got there, there was only one of them sitting out, nicely packaged in a nice plastic, real rod, hooks a lot. And I looked at it and I thought, if only if there were three of these. And I said to the fellow in the shop, I said, do you have any more of these? He said, I'll go out the back and have a look. So you're out the back, and then he came back with two of them. And he handed them to me. And I said, are there only two? He said, no, there's three. I said, well, where did the one that I gave you go? He says, I don't know. Oh, dear. So I want you to imagine the scene. It's quite a large shop, and it's full of fishing tackle. And so we started looking around, and it's literally like trying to find a needle in a haystack, trying to find this missing fishing tackle. We've got two, but there's one missing. And the young man in the shop was holding the two. We searched for five minutes, both of us. We couldn't find them. I said, are you sure you didn't take them out the back? He says, I went out the back and he came back and he says, no, they're not there. And then he looked at me. He says, what do you have under your arm? <laughs> the missing fishing tackle. It was right there before me and I didn't see it. Mind you, he's much younger than me and he didn't see it either. <laughs> right in front of you and you didn't see it. I want you to remember that picture as we look at this story of the wise men. You know, the story of the wise men is the most contaminated of all of the Christmas stories. I'm sorry I'm going to ruin the image this morning. I apologize. We see Christmas cards and you see this little stable and there's a baby in a manger and there's shepherds with sheep, and there's three wise men on camels, and there's a star above. You get the picture. They're all there together, all together in that little environment, worshiping the newborn. False. We, re we sing, We Three Kings of Orient Are, written in the 19th century, mid-1800s. False. So what on earth is it? It's even worse. In the 4th century AD, a monk discovered the skeletons of the wise men. Allegedly. Three of them. Their skulls were trans transferred to Constantinople. And in the 13th century, they were moved to Cologne. And they were put into a cathedral in Cologne, and they're there in a casket, the skulls of the three wise men. And it's false. So what on earth really did happen on that day, that morning, that evening, whenever the wise men arrived? And in order to do that, we've got to peel back 
from all of the layers that are in your picture that you've been given from childhood to the present day. Because what we have reduced wise men to is nothing, nothing like what Matthew intended the picture to be. First of all, what did Matthew intend the picture to be? And whenever you look at the first chapter of Matthew, you get the royal lineage of the, of G, the Lord Jesus Christ, son of David. He is a royal king. And whenever you read right throughout Matthew's gospel, you'll be amazed at the number of times it refers to Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled, but in addition, producing and presenting Christ as the king. Not this little fancy story. And so what I want to do this morning is to take a number of the components of the story, break them down, see what they mean, and apply it to us individually. As Danny says, we've been looking at waiting for the promise. We look, first of all, at Simeon, an elderly Jew, a man who had been waiting for the promise, looking for the coming of the Messiah. We looked at Anna, an elderly woman who came from the lost tribes of the 10 tribes of Israel. One who had been isolated, but was there in the temple, a woman, and she was waiting for the promise. And then we come today to the wise men, and they also were waiting for the promise. You see, the historians will tell us, and you can read the sources, that right throughout the land at that time, not only in the land, but wider afield, there was this declaration that the Messiah was soon to come in the fulfillment of prophecy. People were anticipating it. And why were they anticipating it at that time? Last week when Jim was speaking, he told us that between our, the last book in the Bible and the first book, and the last book of the Old Testament and the first book in the New, the, the New Testament is only one page, but it's 400 years of history. Dark history. Why now were they anticipating? So let's look at four main characters, players in the story. God, the wise men, Herod, and the scribes. And let's look at them and see how each of them move within this story and what the actual application and the meaning of the story is for us today. First of all, God. As you read those 12 verses, you don't see here, read God. You never say God said or the Lord did. It doesn't exist. But it's almost like a man or a woman playing chess. And there's a chess board in front of you, and you see the pieces being moved by an invisible hand. All the pieces being put into place. And that person, that individual, that deity, God, the eternal God, is behind the whole plan, moving the pieces. First of all, you have prophecy. Prophecy fulfilled. Then you have got the star. And then you have got the dream. And you see God moving history and moving man 
from the far, far east to come to Jerusalem. An invisible hand. But who were the wise men? For those of you who don't know, I apologize. I'm a retired history teacher. And I love history. And I may have told you this story once before, but I'll repeat it. I was in for surgery and the anaesthetist came to speak to me before surgery and I told him, I said to him, you and I are in the same line of work. And he looked at me blankly. He said, I'm an anaesthetist, you're in medicine. I said, no, I'm a history teacher. I put people to sleep all my life. But bear with me as we look at the history. AD 66, nearly 70 years after the birth of Christ. Wise men. Magi travel from Parthia, the Parthian Empire, right across the east, right past Jerusalem, right into Rome. And there they meet King the Emperor Nero, and you'll have heard of Nero. This is AD 66. They meet Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero acknowledges these men, these magi, as king makers. King makers. And he gets them to come because Nero is going to crown the king of a region which was under dispute between the Parthians and the Romans. And he brings the wise men all that way because they were the only ones who had the authority to declare this individual to be king. They were king makers. Nero allowed the wise men to carry out their traditional ceremonies that they carried out and then Nero, being emperor of Rome, placed a crown on this king and peace prevailed because they were jointly involved in the appointment of a king. King makers. We can go right back in history and right back into the Bible. Right as we back as you want to go. If you go to the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, you read of wise men. You read of magi. You read in Jeremiah chapter 39 of a man who's given his name and his title is Rabmach. And that title refers to, Rabmach refers to one who is chief of the magi. When you come into the book of Daniel, you repeatedly read of the Magi, the wise men. You repeatedly read of people who had the authority to move and to move people around. When you move on into the book of Esther, you read again of the Magi, of the wise men. You actually read of a council around the king from which some think we get the word magistrate. These men were significant. Now, we can't use a generalization to describe them all. 
They, they were spread right across an empire. There were different strands and different types, but they all had one authority. They were a religious grouping who had the authority to declare and to make kings. A king in the Parthian Empire could not become king unless he was schooled in the ways of the Magi, unless he was acknowledged by the Magi, unless he was crowned by the Magi. Three wise men, three elderly gentlemen, and three camels plodding across the desert. Lost. They arrive in Jerusalem by mistake. Really? When the Magi moved, armies moved. When the Magi would have set off, and history tells us, and I could quote to you sources, but I'm not going to bore you. When the Magi moved, armies moved. They did not travel alone. Whenever Xerxes was made king, and he came out of his palace for the first time, he was led by an army of magi and troops. And as they came across the desert, they weren't three camels. They weren't alone. They weren't plodding along, looking up at a star and following it. No. One historical record says when the magi moved, a thousand troops moved with them thousand troops. They never would have moved without an armed escort. And being Parthians, they'd have been on horseback and not a camel. The Parthians go right back and take up Babylon and Assyria and all of those nations. They would have traveled most likely on horseback. So you get a picture this group of men with a massive entourage, and we don't know how many there were, there was more than one, it's plural. This group of men with this massive entourage, these men who were recognized as being kingmakers, these men who were in opposition to Rome and were constantly in conflict, arrive in Jerusalem. It was not three camels arriving at night and everybody panicking. It was an army. What about Herod? Herod panicked. He was known as Herod the Great. He died around about, and historians dispute this, either between 4 and 2 BC. But Herod the Great had been king of Judea for years. But he had met these people before. That whole Parthian Empire to the east, all of them, they had attacked Judea whenever Herod was governor of Judea in 40 BC. And Herod had fled from Judea. And he had fled to Egypt and he met Cleopatra. You'll know that name. 
and got the authority from Cleopatra to go to see Mark Anthony in Rome. And when he was in Mark Anthony in Rome, there he, being the consummate politician that Herod was, Herod managed to maneuver from Mark Anthony the title King of the Jews. He couldn't have been King of the Jews. The king of the Jews had to come from the David royal line through the line of Jacob. Herod's family line came from Esau. He was an Edomite. He, he, he wasn't. He couldn't have been king of the Jews. But he had the title king of the Jews. And he was shipped back over under the protection of Rome. And he ruled Judea. And while he ruled Judea, he had the name king of the Jews. But everybody said he can't be. He's not Jewish. Herod in order to gratitude with the people, built enormous buildings, including the temple, Masada, Herodotus, other places. So this man, Herod, had already had some contact with the Parthians, and it wasn't very good. So God is behind it. We have Herod, the king, we have the Magi. We have the scribes. These people were versed in the Old Testament prophecies. They didn't quite quote it right, believe it or not. They paraphrased it when they gave it to Herod. Look up Micah 5 and 2 and you'll see it's different. They paraphrased it. But they knew the Messiah was to come was to be born in Bethlehem. But how did the wise men, the Magi, know? How did they know to come? I mentioned to you that Babylon was part of this Parthian empire. And when you read in the book of Daniel, Repeatedly, you read of the Magi. You read that Daniel, under the name of Belteshazzar, was chief of the Magi. You read time and time again that the king and Nebuchadnezzar and others consult with the Magi. You read that Daniel actually saved the lives of the Magi because they were all going to be killed because they couldn't, couldn't work out the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And, and Daniel was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar what was his dream. And so it goes right back into five, six hundred years BC when there in Babylon, Daniel was there and he was finding and working with these people and the legacy of his writings were there. And what did his writings say? His writings said a king would be born. Six hundred years before. His writings said empires would fall and successively each of the empires he identified fell to the present remaining one. Daniel wrote 
and gave a date for the coming king. Right down to years, days. Time was not, and it's not appropriate to go through it. But he did it. And he left these writings, and we know from history that these writings were still looked at, and we know they were consulted. The Romans, for example, knew about these writings. We find that some of the Tacitus and others refer to the Jews knowing about these writings, and others in the wider world knowing about these writings. So these men, these magi, some of them had moved away into the occult, and extremes, but others had remained true. Pliny tells us, Philio, sorry, tells us that there was a group of the Magi who were true and searching for the truth. And these Magi looked at what Daniel had written. They looked at what was happening in the world. They looked at the calculations that were there in in Daniel 9, they worked it all out. They said, the king's coming. He's coming soon. The king's coming. They were waiting for the king. And being astronomers, and being men of scientific ability, and being academics, and being leaders, they watched, and something happened in the eastern sky. A star rose. And they looked at the star. And they looked at their writings. To say, he's come. He's come. The star rose. It doesn't say they followed the star. What was the star? I don't know. People have hypothesized for generations what was the star. But these men saw the star, looked at the writings, realized that a king was coming, and they departed for the natural logical place where he would be, Jerusalem. An entourage of Parthians arrive in the city, get access to Herod immediately, and say, where is he born king? I was watching, maybe you watched the same program during the week of the coronation, the year of the coronation. It was fascinating to watch what was happening in the background, all of the events that were taking place and the roles that various people had. Fascinating program. But there was one line struck, stood out for me as I watched it. One of the commentators said, this was the event for the boy who was born to become king. born to be crowned. When the Magi arrived, they said, where is he who has been born king? 
no coronation. Born king. And now you understand how Herod reacted. They were backing him. They were undermining his position as king of the Jews. They were claiming that somebody who was superior to him had come. It was, it was an attack on him personally. He called his scribes and he said, what do you know? And these men who knew the prophecy said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. That's the background. Let's look at those people. The Magi, they probably traveled 700 miles to come. They searched the scripture. They looked for the answers. They understood what was written. And they traveled 700, possibly 700 miles to find the king. The scribes, they knew the scripture. They knew the prophecy. They knew that the child would be born in Bethlehem, six miles up the road. And they never left Jerusalem to go and look for him. They never moved to find him. So let's now apply this story. What does it mean? Herod? Herod was one who was more concerned about his own position, his own power, his own status, his own background, who he was. He had no time at all for the Magi. He had no time at all for the Messiah. He had no time for the child. He, he didn't want anything, anybody to know anything about it. As a matter of fact, he was ruthless. He decided that in order to eradicate the problem, to remove the problem of the child, that they would be exterminated. And he ordered that in the vicinity of Bethlehem, the children would be killed, those children under the age of two, probably giving himself a, a guaranteed buffer zone based on the population statistics. They reckon that somewhere between a dozen and three dozen kids, children under the age of two, in the region of Bethlehem were killed by Herod's armies. He wants nothing to do with the Messiah. What about the scribes? Oh, they knew it all. They studied it all. They were religious beings. They knew all the detail. They knew about Micah. They knew about the prophecy. They were able to quote it. But they didn't even get on a horse or a donkey to go up the road to see if it was true. Can you imagine? What about the Magi? When they were in Jerusalem, it says the star reappeared. The text says that. And it led them straight to Bethlehem and stopped over the house, not the stable, not the manger, over the house where the baby lay. And they 
worshipped him. They brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped the baby. They recognized who he was. They saw in him the fulfillment of a prophecy. They saw in him God's plan. They saw in him one who was to be worshipped, not crowned. One who was to be worshipped. The kingmakers didn't come to make a king. The kingmakers came to worship a newborn king. And as we've looked at this whole panorama of history, and as we've looked at Simeon, and as we've looked at Anna, and as we've looked at the Magi, the wise men, we see different groups of people and their responses to the coming king. One who was looking for him, anticipating him, a Jew. One who was on the outside, looking in, looking for the king. And those who travel from far to find the king. Where are you? Where do you stand with regards to the babe in the manger? To the child in the house? Where are you? Are you like Herod? nothing to do with him. Eradicate him. It's me. I have this objective truth. It's me. There's nothing other than me. I am what is important in this world. Nobody else matters. It's me and what I think and what I believe that is key. No, I don't need it. I'm Herod. I don't want it. Are you the scribes? Oh, you've heard it all before. You know it all in detail. You know the story of the baby. You know the detail. Oh, you could tell the story. You've heard it. But you haven't even got off your seat to go and see if it's true. To personally investigate it to check it, to examine it? Or are you a magi, Gentile, far away, belonging to an empire which was distant? But you knew the truth was coming and you were willing to travel, travel from far, to come to that cradle and worship the newborn king. You see, within that little story, we have three types of people. Rejection, religion, and reception. Where are you? We embark upon a new year and we've considered the babe in the manger. We've considered the incarnation. 
We've sung about it. We've thought about it. We've talked about it. We've celebrated it. That God became flesh and dwelt amongst us and that he took upon the form of a child, that he grew up amongst us with the sole purpose of dying for your sin and for mine. That's the story of the manger. Where are you? Nothing to do with me. Forget that. Nice. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. But that's all. It's me. I'm willing to travel. I want to find more. I want to find the truth. January the 6th is Epiphany. You'll be taking your Christmas trees decorations down. And if you have got a little manger scene sitting there at the bottom of the tree or on the mantelpiece, as many homes do, you'll put it away as well. You'll put the baby away for another year. The one who could transform your life. The one who could change your life. The one who was born king. The one whose birth was not a silent birth. We sing silent night. Heaven opened. Nations moved. Prophecy was fulfilled. Man journeyed to see the king. Is he your king? Is he my king? Where does he hold this Christmas time? Where are you? I trust you are wise. And you'll have seen the phrase written all over the church boards. Wise men still seek Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you for this story that we have read. We thank you, our Father, for the truth within it. And our Father, as we read it again, we just pray that you would open our eyes that we may see the truth of the story of the wise men and the impact it can have on our lives. We pray, our Father, as we finish our service, you would bless us as we go home to remember this new year. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Could I invite you to read the passage again with me? In light of what you've heard? Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the Great, who was the king, wise men came from the east, the old Babylonian, Persian, Parthian empire. They came to Jerusalem. They came with an entourage. Whereas he who has been born king of the Jews, we have seen a star in the east and will come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Not because of three elderly men arriving. 
And he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together and inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and not the least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. When they had the king, they departed. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, not the stable, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh.